Welcome to Real Estate Coaching Radio, starring award-winning real estate coaches and number one international best-selling authors, Tim and Julie Harris. This is the number one daily radio show for realtors looking for a no BS, authentic, real-time coaching experience. What's really working in today's market, how to generate more leads, make more money, and have more time for what you love in your life. And now your hosts, Tim and Julie Harris. Three, two, one, and we are back. And what we're focused on today is what to do when your buyer's mortgage loan was denied. Or, I think more importantly, what to do to make sure your buyer's mortgage loan is never denied in the first place. Or doesn't stay denied. And it could be your buyer. You also might be dealing with this as a listing agent with somebody else's buyer, with the buyer agent's buyer, right? So this goes to both sides of that. Stop letting your deals die. I know most of you are not experienced with this. But don't give up so easily. Deals go sideways for lots of reasons. And as such, there are lots of solutions to solving those issues. So what we're going to do on today's podcast is we're going to go through different scenarios where a loan may have been denied, and we're going to tell you how to save the deal. We've presented similar information on this podcast before, and obviously we talk a lot about this in Premier Coaching. Uh, but the, the, I would say, Julie, most of almost all of the things that we really drilled down on, this is probably the thing that we get the most people thanking us for. Yes. Because they're like, oh, well, I guess maybe one day I'll use this information. And then like 10 minutes after the podcast, they get a message yes. that their buyer's loan was denied. Yep. And they're supposed to, the, the closing that they were really counting on that was going to be the first of a chain of like 10 closings. Yep. You know, the whole thing. So guys, use this information, save it. And as always, you, the show description is below. So if you're on iTunes, Spotify, wherever, scroll down our notes are right there now we you know we'll add a lot more content just from thoughts julie and i have popping our minds as we're presenting uh, today on the show than are just in the notes but the notes are a great place for you to start use it as a checklist and when you're there make sure you join premier coaching thousands of you already have there's still thousands of you who have yet to join and the best part i think you'll agree is you can sample you can take a premier coaching on a test drive you have 30 days access uh, for free and that does include a daily semi-private coaching call so what the heck are you waiting for scroll down read our notes maybe even uh, read our notes along with us as we're presenting this information with you. And uh, yeah, guys, next natural step for all of you is to join Premier Coaching. Join the Premier Coaching community and you can be on your first daily semi-private coaching call today. That's right. So rest assured, we have actually closed thousands of transactions over our real estate careers and have coached thousands of coaching clients to meet or exceed their goals. So the following are tried and true solutions to deals dying due to financial issues. We have actually done 100% of these solutions multiple times and have coached clients to successfully do the same. So here's a secret. We always start out with mindset. Manage your mindset. Get off of the panic button and into action. If the buyer still wants to buy and the seller still wants to sell, you still have a deal. That's thanks to Rory, right? Our old broker. Get to work to solve the problem because most deals do have a solution. Now, before we get into the four most common problems with financing and how to fix them, note to self, some of you have backup offers, but be sure to know the facts about your backup offer before you just switch to that deal. You might be signing up for part two of the same problem. If you don't have a backup offer, get a two-week extension so you have time to resolve the issues and still get to the closing table and then get back to work. So don't just assume it got canceled, they're backing out, it's over. Get a two-week extension and work on it. I'm going to show you how. All right. So if you are a Premier Coaching client, you need to use our ultimate addendum. It's in Premier Coaching. And that is something that you're going to use 
uh, that you're going to require essentially all your buyers are going to have to essentially have or be working with lenders and the lenders actually have to get the loans completely approved. The only subject to would be or the contingency of the loan approval would be the appraisal of the house. Other than that, everything is actually completely loan done. committed. You want that. You want a loan committed. Don't work with and we've done tons of podcasts and tons of mm-hmm. training on that. The information is in Premier Coaching. Now, where you're going to run into problems is when the buyer's agent brings buyers uh, to look at your properties and they make offers on properties. And I want you to be very clear. You need to be using the ultimate addendum. Maybe the price is perfect, conditions are perfect, closing date's perfect, this is the dream buyer, but you still need to say, we accept all the terms, wonderful, wonderful, but the buyer needs to basically provide a lender's letter that reflects the conditions of, we call it the ultimate addendum, you can call it whatever you want to. In other words, you want that buyer's agent to then, in essence, force the buyer to force their lender to sh- verify the fact that that buyer is actually a real buyer. Because look, someone could have been starting their search a year ago or six months ago, or maybe two days ago, and they use some online source. And the buyer thinks that they are great, good to go buyers. And the buyer's agents, let's be honest, are too experienced to know any better. And so you're going to go and put some buyer in contract on one of your listings. And then the seller is going to trust that you have verified that that buyer is a legit buyer. And let's say there's a chain of other closings happening after that. And now you're stuck with what? You're going to lose the sale because the buyer's going to, financing isn't going to work out. You're going to lose the chain of other transactions and the seller will fire you. So this could be a series of horrible experiences. So please, uh, Premier Coaching clients, use the ultimate addendum. Use it for your own buyers and then use it when you get offers on your own listings. But all these little nuanced things we're about to share with you are things that you're going to have to learn how to do as well. But the ultimate addendum truly is the knockout punch to avoiding as many of this, uh, of this, you know, really. This variety torrid, of problems. Uh, exactly. <laughs> yes, that's right. So four common problems and how to fix them. Note to self, legally, a lender must give the reason a borrower is being denied their loan. So do find out the specifics. If the lender won't tell you, they must tell the buyer. You can find out that way. Okay. Point number one or problem number one, down payment issues and or closing cost issue. Either way, it's money coming out of the buyer's pocket. Now, if it's not enough, okay, so maybe they thought they would be approved putting 10% down and they find out they've got to put 20% down. Well, if it's if they're told it's not enough, find out exactly how much the lender requires. Would changing the loan program change that's that requirement? The, that's the big one right there. So mm-hmm. the loan program, let's just, we'll do our best to explain this to you. Um, what'll happen sometimes is a loan officer has a, let's say they have six different potential programs that your buyer will qualify for based on, you know, their whatever. Their profile. All, their, their profile, right? Well, it turns out that those programs are uh, essentially all requiring like maybe 30% down or whatever. And if there, it's a little bit more onerous, but your buyer qualifies. There were other programs that your buyer, and let, let's say your buyer had to pay over asking price. And let's say now the 30%, some of it they were going to use to purchase the house. Now they only have maybe 20% because 10% they had to pay over. You, these different scenarios play out. The lender then is, because the buyer doesn't have enough down payment, is going to deny the loan. Well, it turns out that the lender is the problem because the lender, had they been, say, for example, had a larger variety of prop, or different loan products available, they could have just flipped them to a different uh, loan program that and got be. them approved. And that is so what you got to do is you really have to drill down. Julie and I always suggest that, and again, lenders don't like when we say this, but I don't care because it is true. You need to always have three different lenders. And it's not for the sakes of, I mean, partially it's for the sake of the whole, um, 
you know, you never want to just steer them towards one. You want to give them a choice. But in essence, this is what you want to look for. You want to look for a lender that specializes in working with first-time buyers, FHA, VA. They're going to know about all the little grant programs. They're going to know about all the little different sort of carve-outs that some of the different cities might have. Then you're going to want a lender that works in the, the middle price range. Maybe it's a seller uh, that's, you know, selling their first house or their second house. They're, you know, they're, it's, they're not really high-end, uh, you know, real estate consumers, and they're certainly not first-time buyers, but somebody who's going to be a real good fit for those middle-of-the-range uh, buyers and sellers, frankly. And then you're going to want somebody, and maybe in your market there's even a segment above this, but then you're going to want a lender that specializes in luxury properties in, because the guy that works for the first-time buyers isn't going to be very good with working with your luxury buyers and, when you come across one. And the reverse, one. too. Yeah, totally. Uh, and then in some markets, you're going to actually want to have a lender that's going to be higher than that. And those are going to be oftentimes lenders that are associated with JP Morgan or, uh, you know, different like private banks. And those are those are great sources of mortgage products as well. Because like, for example, um, if you're very, if, if you have a large portfolio and it's with JP Morgan or if it's with one of these big banks, what the, the borrower can do is get a portfolio loan as their uh, down payment or frankly, as the complete mortgage and really, really upper end clients, they will be given really amazing um, interest rates, even in a higher interest rate environment like we're in now. But you've got to familiarize yourself if you have that type of yeah, market. Yeah, they're not available. all the same. You know, and I no. would add another one, which is somebody that's good at working with people who are self-employed, own businesses, maybe a portfolio lender. You need to have a variety. A portfolio okay. lender is a lender that loans their own money. They're not selling the loan. That's And there's not a lot of portfolio lenders out there anymore. But portfolio lenders, that's, you know, they're not a hard money lender. That's not what we're saying. No. All right, next point. Okay. So down payment, either way, what we're talking about is there's something wrong with the amount of money required to take to closing. So Well, would, but there's, there's something wrong, yes, because it's falling under the category of, uh, you know. Not enough money. But it's also, in many cases, lender problems. It could be. Okay, now, so what we just talked about is changing the loan pro program, maybe changing the lender because they didn't offer something. Okay, now, if it really comes down to no matter what program they're in, maybe something has changed. Maybe because the rate went up, they now have to put down more money. Is it possible to use gift funds to make up the difference? Maybe they're off by like five or 10 grand and they can use gift funds. Ask, can the borrower cash out an investment account, a 401 or something else to build up the payment? Make sure they know about the tax ramifications of doing that. And by the way, again, they could borrow against their retirement accounts yes. and there's no taxes on borrowed money. That's a common way to fix that problem. Can the borrower get a cosigner and solve the problem? Is it because they're guaranteeing an appraisal gap? Maybe the seller will renegotiate a little bit. Or if there's a, like for example, if they had to pay over on a property and the house won't negotiate, appraise. then, uh, uh, thank you, um, right, appraise, then maybe the seller's willing to take that overage as an unsecured line of credit or a second mortgage. Right, versus losing the borrower and losing the deal altogether. Right, so Mr. Seller, listen, the house won't appraise, the borrower has money to buy the house based on the appraisal price. The lender won't lend on anything over the appraisal price. The borrower is still willing to pay your 50000 over or whatever it is. Let's make that a second mortgage on the property. And then every month, the borrower is going to then pay on the first mortgage plus the second. 
to the seller. And I'm not saying that's an ideal scenario, but it's something you're going to have to be aware of because in some markets, that's what you're going to have to do to get your buyers to win. Yeah, that's right. And sometimes it's caused by closing the appraisal gap. Sometimes it's just because the borrower doesn't have enough of a down payment. So the seller might provide, as Tim said, a second mortgage to create some funds. The seller can make interest on that loan. It gets filed as a normal lien using the title company. They know how to do that and require it to be paid off in a certain time frame, like for a refi or something like that. Okay. Now here's another option. Can you raise the price by the deficit and still have the home appraise? Have the seller contribute the overage to the buyer's closing costs, which puts more money in their pocket. Now that's kind of a whole twisted way to do it, but it does work. We need to drill down. So what we're seeing, and we haven't talked about this, um, and I don't think we do in today's show, but we will now, (laughs) are the banks are putting tougher and tougher overlays on top of the mortgages. So what does that mean? Mm -hmm. So you might go and uh, like, let's just use the FHA as an example. You might be able to Google and find out your borrower does, and they find out what the, you know, the credit scoring requirements are, the down payment, all the different parameters of getting an FHA mortgage. Well, that doesn't mean that the bank is not going to put additional requirements on mm-hmm. top of whatever the minimum requirements are that's mandated by the FHA. And that's not illegal. The banks are allowed to no. do that. Those are called overlays. Oh, and guess what? Larry, the loan officer, is not necessarily going to tell you that there's a whole bunch of overlays that got put in place. They're not required to tell you. Right. And if the borrower got their pre-approval you know, six months ago, they might not necessarily qualify with that loan program anymore because the lender now has a bunch of overlays, blankets and blankets of overlays that the that makes it so the buyer is no longer qualified yeah. using that particular program. And that is absolutely hap- happening as we speak. I read an article in Bloomberg as well as Housing Wire that there was just, I think it was some kind of quarterly report where most major lenders have said, yes, we absolutely have put on additional lender overlays. Yep. And they're going to even more so. That's not going to change. Yeah, definitely a trend. Okay. Now, last but not least... And we did this only a few times. I I feel like we have to say this. So why does a bank do overlays? Because what happens if a bank originates a government loan and that government loan goes bad, then the bank has to buy that loan back and that becomes a loss on their books. Well, they have a credit score too. Exactly. And so what the banks will do is they'll actually, even though it's not in their, I mean, financially, they're going to do fewer loans, but they raise the standards in essence to make it so that there's less likely, uh, less of a chance that they're going to have a loss Default. on that on a defaulted mm-hmm. loan. Okay, that's why they do that. And if you're in a part of the country where maybe there's a risk of some unemployment, or maybe there's a big factory that's about to close down, or whatever, the lenders will put overlays on mortgages because they are fearful of what the future might hold with regards to the quality of those borrowers. That's right, and it has, you know, oftentimes it has nothing to do with your actual borrower. Maybe that bank just suffered losses last quarter, and they're cracking down. They're <laughs> Exactly. allowed to do that. It's not your fault, right? Well, yeah, that 100%. All right, so yes. let's okay. so let's go Last on to, but not least, okay. you can do hard money lender, not my favorite, doesn't get used that often. I'm not going to elaborate on that, but sometimes that can save the deal. Okay. Point number two, or problem number two, you will sometimes hear, now that we're in underwriting, we've discovered that the borrower has a ratio issue. Their ratios are off, their ratios are too high. Well, what does this actually mean? Lenders require specific debt-to-income ratios in order to qualify a borrower for a mortgage loan. You guys had to learn this. This was a question on the test. They calculate the buyer's total expenses divided by their gross income, which equals a ratio. Housing-related expenses divided by gross income is an indicator of how much somebody's income they're spending on their house payment, right? It seems logical. Typically, the debt-to-income ratio should be about 36% or less, and the total housing expense 28% or less. If ratios are too high, this means the borrower has too much debt. 
creating too much cash flow going out the door and not enough towards their mortgage payment. This has become more problematic because A, prices continue to go up, and B, ratio requirements haven't changed. They should have been going up along with prices, but they haven't. And C, higher rates make for even higher payments, which also will wreck their ratios. So that is a little tutorial on what ratios are, but how do you actually fix this problem? Well, ask the lender which of these things would work. Again, we're trying to fix their cash flow. Essentially, a ratio problem is a cash flow problem. Uh, I'm going to go back to what I originally said. Premier coaching clients, make sure you're using the ultimate yes. addendum because you do not want to be dealing with these problems after the borrower has been in contract uh, and you are essentially looking down the barrel of a bunch of of deals falling apart because it turns out that the borrower is not qualified to purchase the property. Because these are very hard problems to fix if uh, if you're under a big time crunch. That's Again, right. do the work ahead of time. Yes. And if you're the listing agent, make sure the other side has done this ahead of time. Otherwise, your seller is going to get mad at you. All right. So again, how do you fix the ratios? The buyer could pay off a credit card, a student loan, or their car loan. Can they maybe, again, borrow from a 401k to do this or borrow from the bank of mom and dad to do that? Does the loan have to be paid off or just paid down? Maybe the payment will reset and fix their ratios without actually having to pay off the whole thing. Uh, next, again, would a different loan product have different ratio requirements? Sometimes that happens. Would raising the down payment fix the ratio issue? That depends on if your borrower has the money to do that. And how much more of a down payment would it require? It might not be that much. I don't like the last point. Don't read it because I'm not going to okay. suggest anybody has a cosigner. Point number three. Okay, no worries. Okay, number three, credit score issues, the dreaded credit score. Everybody who puts any borrower in contract needs to remind them now that you're pending on a home purchase, do not go out and finance a boat, a car, or anything else. That could be it. Or it could be a lender overlay that causes a credit score problem. Again, find out specifically what the issue is. Deal-killing credit issues come in two forms, either a low score and or a specifically damaging item like a tax lien or a default that's too recent. So find out what it actually is. Now, Here's a caveat. If the uh, credit score is too low by about 15 points or less to make it make sense for the loan pro program they're trying to do, it is probably fixable with a few easy remedies. Use Experian.com to update credit and correct errors and Experian Boost to improve your score with a few simple steps. If you can turn, say, a 698 credit score into a 715, you might be back in luck with the loan. And remember, these things you can do you know, in an afternoon online. It used to be you had to send them a bunch of mail and fight your credit, you know, the old fashioned way. Now you can do this in like an hour or less. You can fix some of this. Well, you made a game of this because you were researching all this for <laughs> obviously our premier coaching clients and you started focusing on our credit scores and you got our credit scores, I think up to like 840, 850. 850, 847 and something else. I turned it into a game and we also, it's been a while, but we did do a podcast about how credit actually works. Well, so a lot of the things that you were doing to get credit scores up were, I mean, silly stuff. Like give yeah. them some examples. Well, okay. So everybody thinks that credit is all about making your payments on time. And that is true, but that's only 20% of your score. Most people don't know that. Uh, it's also strange that actually paying a credit card down where you owe about 30% uh, of the balance is actually better for your credit. That doesn't make any sense, but it's true. And then using this thing called Experian, what was it called? Experian Boost, I think. Yeah. Um, you can. All that is is connecting any automatic utility payments to Experian so they can see that you make your utility payments on time. That's especially good when you have borrowers that are either 
uh, new to the country or do not have much credit history, that fixes your credit history. Because maybe you don't have three credit cards, but you pay your utility bills on time. That builds your credit. So guys, when again, this all goes back to the ultimate addendum again, which is included in Premier yes. Coaching. But when you get a lender's letter, 99% of the time, they're not going to have actually done a credit check or they're just going to do, what is it called, a soft pull or something? A soft pull, like one score, not all three. Right. So what will happen is there's three credit reporting agencies. And if the credit, like you might have Experian to use that as an example, might give them a credit score of, say, 725. And let's say the other one's even better, 735, Equifax or whatever. But then TransUnion has, oh, TransUnion, TransUnion, right. TransUnion found out that they did default on that student loan 15 years ago. And that credit score is like 530. And, and they so, never took it off of their credit scoring. Exactly. And so when you average all three, then all of a sudden they don't qualify anymore. But yep. if the lender's letter was based on the high credit score and everyone's marching towards closing, thinking it's going to be you know no problems whatsoever, and then what the underwriters will do is they'll do three merge credit reports and they'll check the credit before the day of closing oftentimes. And then guess what? The credit score plummets because they are for the first time doing a three merge. And then your borrower no longer has the ability to get a loan because they no longer qualify based on maybe erroneous or yeah. old credit information. Yeah, credit is really a dark hole of many <laughs> issues. You know, it's not what people think. But the good news is it has gotten easier to fix because it's all well, online now. Here's the thing you got to think about with regards to these credit reporting agencies. You're not their customer. No. Listeners, You, <laughs> they don't work for you. They work for people that are wanting to give you credit. So at the end of the day, this cards are stacked against you. So it's better to know some of the little shortcuts and the hacks. I hate to say it, but I remember very clearly when Julie, <laughs> she was bubbly with the fact that she was able to sim simply make it so our utility payments were paid automatically and it boosted our own credit scores. You did this it's, like it's years between, ago. They say it right there on their site. It'll boost between eight and 15 points. And I think it's within 10 days. It's ridiculous. So, I mean, look at if somebody is just under that, you know how they have requirements like you've got to have a 720 credit score to get this loan product and they're like 705 you know maybe just doing this will fix the problem you have to ask exactly what the issue is and well so let's go at the different way right so if they had a 720 versus say a 690 their interest rate's going to drop yes their payment's going to be less and guess what now they can qualify yeah see these things are all intertwined which really guys we want you doing the real estate side of things and the lender doing the lender side of things but you're going to at least have a high level knowledge especially after listening to this podcast of really what lazy Larry the lazy lender should be doing because yeah. unfortunately a lot of these lenders have been riding the never-ending gravy train of yep. constant refinances and said gravy train is now derailed so for the first time a lot of these lenders are having to do normal loans and they don't know how or they're not very yeah. efficient at it but the point is don't give up ask lots of questions and find out if it's fixable a lot of times it is fixable so for example if the credit score is just too low for the particular loan product and it's conventional, the borrower might need to switch to FHA or another more lenient type of mortgage. Maybe putting an extra $10,000 that they borrow from bank of mom and dad can fix the credit score problem. So to be a FHA, VA, to be a government approved, you have to be actually approved. The requirements that the government puts on lenders to do uh, government loans is way more onerous than someone that's representing a bunch of banks and whatnot. So your lender that you're working with, who might be the greatest person ever, doesn't isn't actually FHA approved. That's why your borrowers always have to put 20% down. Could be. Versus the lender that's you know two miles away that's FHA approved that could get your lenders or get your borrowers approved with only five percent down. And oh, a lower credit score. And lower credit score, right? That's so right. you really have to be an expert at this. That's right. Uh, so 
staying on credit just for a second, if something needs to be paid off to get it off of the credit, use the same strategies that we discussed on one of the earlier points. Find out what needs to be paid off and how much it has to be and how the buyer is able to pay it off. Obviously the lesser amounts are easier, but there still could be a solution, so don't give up. So for example, if the item that needs to be paid off is some sort of lien, like a homeowner's association, a mechanics lien, a private loan, it may be possible to negotiate a lower payoff with whomever is owed the debt. But you want to find all of this out before you've actually spent any time with that borrower, that buyer, for sure. Point number four. Number four, our last one today, home sale of the buyer tanked, and now they can't close on their new house. So this would be either contingent on closing is most common right now. It could be contingent on uh, sale, but for whatever reason, they no longer can buy this house because their old house didn't sell. So take your backup offer if you have one and you're the listing agent and they qualify. Recheck with the lender since rates went up since they were, were the backup offer. But also see if the seller will convert the contract to being contingent on home sale with an escape clause. In other words, they can try to sell it to a new buyer who is not contingent on home sale. This is kind of like a first right of refusal. I know you guys haven't done this, probably most of you ever, uh, which keeps the original buyer but gives the seller the right to get somebody who can close faster. All of your MLSs, all of your boards of realtors have specific contract language that shows you how to do that. But communicate with the listing agent, if it's not you, to see if they do have a backup offer and maybe strategize. If it's in your market, maybe you have a buyer for the home. It depends on which side of the deal you're on, but don't give up, right? I mean, things are still selling on average less than 20 days in most markets, less than 30 days, depends on where you are. So just because a deal falls apart that was contingent on making the next deal close doesn't mean it's going to be forever before you sell it again. Premier coaching clients, your homework from today's podcast, log in, use the ultimate addendum. Because one of the things that when Julie was reading the last point I was thinking about was where some of you are going to get caught is you're going to accept offers from buyers, uh, buyers on your listings, or maybe you're going to work with a buyer and that's not going to be contingent of home sale. But the fan, it's just basically, maybe it's even a clean lender's letter, which is contingent on uh, the appraisal of the property and maybe some just miscellaneous small things, which frankly, you don't even want to deal with. You only want to accept a loan commitment that, who, that is only contingent on the appraisal of the property. But let's say you end up having to accept an offer on something from a buyer and the buyer's offer looks, there's no home sale contingency. All right, great. We have no home sale contingency. But what you might then need to do is really dig into where their down payment's coming from. Yes, it's the other agent's buyer, a buyer, but what will happen? A lot of agents are sneaking in home sale contingencies, not by writing them in the purchase contract, but it's a purchase contract and you've readily accepted as contingent on financing, but it turns out the financing is contingent on a home sale. There's nothing yep. le- illegal about them doing that. That's one of the reasons yeah. we want you to use the, the ultimate addendum. Because remember, as I gave you the scenario of, you know, a few minutes ago, you got a great offer on your listing. Everything's great. Seller's happy. Everyone's happy. And you still need to send the um, Mr. Se- Mr. Buyer, Mr. Buyer's agent. Thank you. We accept your offer. It's fantastic. We'll see you at the closing table with this one caveat. Here's the um, ultimate, well, again, call it what you want. The seller requests that you actually have essentially provide a lender's letter that reflects that all these conditions have been met. And that is where the ultimate addendum comes in. And you're actually going to send it back to the buyer's agent. And the buyer's agent is then going to take it to the buyer's lender. And then you're going to find out whether that's actually a uh, borrower and a buyer's agent that you want to walk down the aisle with. Because you might discover that it's not. And otherwise, you're going to 
have all kinds of future pain as you essentially are uh, slipping the ring on the wrong buyer. <laughs> yeah, well, and you know, unfortunately, some deals will have not just one of these things, these four common issues that we talked about today. They could have one or two of these going on at the same time. Yep. And you didn't know until the dreaded call. Now we're finally in underwriting. I mean, that's like the big mystery thing. We've made it through underwriting. Underwriting is when all this stuff hits the fan like three or four days before closing. Why do they wait? Because lenders don't want to have the deal processed until the buyer has made it through inspections. Right. The until le- they made it through appraisal. Why would they waste their time on underwriting until they've made it to that finish line? Actually, that's a good point. Those of who've, who've hung on for 30 minutes, they deserve this. So why do lenders operate like this? And we didn't mean to make this about a you know pick on lender uh, podcast, <laughs> but you know what? They had it coming. Yeah. All right. So why do, so why do lenders do it this way? Because let. Loan officers don't want to spend a lot of time with the file until the bar the buyer actually is in contract on something because then it essentially means that there's a higher probability the buyer is going to move forward with the mortgage. You get it? Till they so, remove like inspection contingencies and right. stuff like that. So the borrower, the lender is going to put off any real work on your buyer's file until the probability of the buyer flaking out on the actual deal is essentially zero. And then they're actually going to do their three merge. Then they're going to verify the assets. Then they're going to verify the employment. Then they're actually going to do their job. You cannot operate like that. Otherwise, you're going to be the one that ends up on the short of the stick. And you're going to be the one that's losing deals because of the fact that you know, you weren't following the rules as we gave it to you in today's podcast. So don't do that. That's right. That reminds <laughs> me, I need to dust off a podcast about specifically about the difference between pre-qualified, pre-approval, and loan committed. Yes. Because we were wandering all over that today with these problems. Loan committed is what it sounds like. They are committed just contingent on finding the house and making it to the closing table. You know, we've had a lot of coaching clients in the past um, month or so report that they're doing deals in like, and these are not cash, these are loan committed deals can close in 10 days or less. Why do you think something, why do you think the typical closing is 30 to 45 days or 60 days? It's because of what you just described, because they never make it through underwriting until they drag it out through the inspections and everything else. So most cash offers are, yes, they're paying with cash, but who cares? I mean, at the end of the day, it's all cash anyway, but most cash offers, they're not using the pennies and the nickels and the dimes that the borrower has been saving all these years. It's actually borrowed money from another asset. Right, a lot of cash offers are people that are taking loans against their that retirement could be a HELOC account or something. The, right, maybe another a vacation property, or maybe it's this, maybe it's the other thing. Right, so you're going to have to learn really to drill down. The ultimate denim saves your bacon. Ultimately, that's really what all of you should be using. Um, and then familiarize yourself with this. And I'm gonna this one last little thought for all of you. Um, you need to. We're not saying you need to have like the ability to understand all ca- uh, facets of uh, being a mortgage lender. No. But those of you who think you can just delegate and somehow magically all the stars are going to align, you're making a mistake. There's delegation and there's abdication. You want to delegate, but only after you have a high level of knowledge about the process and a high level of proven uh, confidence from a bunch of, you know, essentially past successes, then you can feel comfortable delegating. But even then, don't abdicate. Abdicate means you're going to give up the oversight of it. Some people will criticize, well, why would you want to micromanage the lender? I know why. So you're not losing deals. So agents, there's, you, you guys seem to celebrate the idea that I delegate everything. I don't do everything. Well, you delegate and you abdicate. In other words, you don't know whether the person you sent that you know, responsibility to is qualified to do the job, let alone will actually get it done. Don't do that. Well, so today we've given you the questions to ask and hopefully inspired you to stop giving up when you run into a roadblock. That's right. 
you know, and we feel you, right? You, you haven't, many of you dealt with any of this because things were smooth sailing. The lower the rates are, the lower the payments are, the more people qualify for everything. It was easy. And now that things have changed, we have these lender overlays and higher rates and all the, this other stuff, you're gonna come across some of this. And so the tendency is to freak out and just take it at face value, the deal's dead. Don't let your deals die. Remember what we said at the top of the podcast, if the buyer still wants to buy and the seller still wants to sell, you still have a deal. You're part of your job, which hasn't been your job until recently. I, I appreciate that. Part of your job is to be the solution, to be the deal fixer, to help your clients, to be of service. So hopefully on today's podcast, we've given you the right questions to ask. That doesn't mean you're supposed to go and be a mortgage lender, but you should be able to have these conversations. That's it. Hopefully this information will educate you, motivate you. Now get into action. Having this information is going to make you confident. It's going to give you a competitive advantage in the marketplace. You're not going to be, you want to know how to make yourself special. You want to create a brand. You want to make it so that, why is it that you're different than the other agents? It's your knowledge. It's your applied knowledge, knowing how to solve other people's problems. We love the fact that you guys have kept this the number one listen to daily podcast for real estate professionals in the United States. Now do the right thing and give us a five-star review and a great comment over on iTunes. We certainly appreciate your continued support. Have a fantastic day. We'll talk with you on the show tomorrow. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.